Well, just after I graduated from college, I spent a year, or I'm sorry, I spent a summer raising support uh, to go overseas as a missionary to East Asia. And that summer that I spent raising support, I was basically churchless. I was bouncing around, speaking at different churches in the region and raising funds and networking with different uh, individuals. Rather, uh, being somewhat lonely, uh, though I was uh, meeting a, a ton of new people, not really having a community that I was involved in. And that summer, I, I wandered through a Christian bookstore one day as I was traveling and saw a book sitting there on the shelf that uh, I had heard some buzz about. And it's a book that I, now, I, I know now, looking back, that was incredibly dangerous, but I had no idea at the time. And so I picked up the book because I had heard some buzz about this author and some of the things that he was communicating, and I got a copy of it. And for whatever reason, it really clicked with me. I don't know if it was his writing style, uh, I don't know if it was some of the, the questions uh, that he was asking or his honesty. He was asking a lot of hard questions about traditional conceptions of, of Christianity, and he was kind of poking a lot of holes in things, surfacing a lot of tensions, and, and for, for whatever reason, it just kind of resonated with me. So I started to read this book, and, and uh, it, it started to, uh, it started to con- kind of consume my thinking, and I didn't really have the, the theological acumen at the time to, to interact with it in a healthy way and to evaluate it. I wasn't in a healthy church. Uh, the church I'd come from in college wasn't really helping me think through those kinds of things. And there I was bouncing around for a summer with no local church, uh, nobody over me shepherding and reading this book that was really rather dangerous. And so I, I kept reading the book and started to drift more and more into the, the direction of, of what this guy was teaching. Uh, and so before I boarded the plane to go to East Asia for that year, I went to the bookstore and bought two or three more uh, of, of the books that this guy had written and took them with me. And so I spent a year just kind of deep diving and, and I think wandering further and further away from truth. Well, that following summer, I came back to raise more support uh, before returning for my second year uh, as a missionary in East Asia, and the author had just come out with a brand new book, uh, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, His new book, he was uh, supposedly going to outline uh, his uh, more... um, kind of his, his theology and outlined some of his, his uh, stances on various issues. And so as soon as I got off the plane, I, as quickly as I could get to a bookstore, I went and picked up a, a new copy of his book. I even went to see him. He was on a book tour. I have an autographed copy of the book. I was like a fanboy. Uh, and so I go and I got an autographed copy by this guy and I was just reading all of his stuff. I was drifting further and further, deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, whatever analogy seems to fit. But then I had a phone call with a, with a solid Christian friend, and I uh, started to pour out to my friend all these new things that I was learning about Christianity and all the, the things that I was getting from this author, and my friend just kind of pressed pause on me for a second and started himself to volley back with some questions, opened up God's Word for me and said, listen, the, the things that you're saying don't seem to line up with what the Word is saying here. And, and it was one phone call with a brother, and it was like blinders fell off of my eyes, and I picked that book back up and just marked through it at all of the error and all of the stuff that I had believed in the path that I was starting to wander down. I wonder if you've ever been in a similar situation to me. I look back now and shudder to think at where I could be now had I not been rescued by that phone call with that friend. I wonder if you've ever been in a similar situation to me, or perhaps you've been in a place where you've watched friends, you've been on the other side of that, watching friends or family members uh, believe things, think things, uh, imbibe resources, read books that you're like, I know that just isn't good for your soul. Maybe you've been, been on either side of that situation. Well, Delray Baptist Church, one of the reasons that God has placed you in a local church is for scenarios just like that. Scenarios where we can receive help from others about what we believe and how we are to live, and scenarios where we can then reach out to and help others who are likewise wandering from the truth. 
Well, that is what our text in James chapter 5 is going to look at this morning. It's the last two verses of the book of James that we've been walking through for several months. And James is going to take us to this kind of reality, this scenario where you have wandering church members and church members who are looking out for those wandering church members. And he's going to give us some teaching on that topic. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to James chapter 5. We'll be in verses 19 and 20. James 5, verses 19 and 20. Here's what I I want to argue from this text. It's fairly simple. God wants to use you to help us persevere. That's the argument. God wants to use you to help us persevere. I think that's what we'll see from James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And uh, just to to kind of organize our thoughts here, I I want to show you two characters that we should get to know in order to help us unpack that idea that God wants to use you to help us persevere. The two characters are these, the wandering church member and the watchful church member. The wandering church member and the watchful church member. That's how we'll look at our text this morning in these two verses. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I'll read the text. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's so short, let's read it a second time. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's look at the wandering church member first. Having read these uh, last two books, uh, last few verses of the book of James, you might read those and say, James, is, is that it? <laughs> That's how you're going to end it? Right? Paul, if you read Paul's letters, Paul at the end of his letters is he's given his travel plans. <laughs> he's greeting everybody that he knows in the city. He's high-fiving people. He's telling people where he's going to be. He's given a nice little benediction, wraps it up with a nice conclusion. James just kind of throws it in the park. <laughs> James just abruptly ends this with these last two verses saying, my brothers, if anyone wanders and someone brings him back, you've saved his soul from death. What is going on with the ending of James? Well, it's really quite powerful and quite poignant if you think about it. We've said throughout this series, the whole way through this book of James, that James is speaking to Jewish Christians who are scattered outside of their homeland. So so Jewish Christians that have been scattered by persecution and by pressure outside of Jerusalem. And these scattered Christians are are facing various pressures and various uh, trials because of the circumstances that they're in. And so what James has been doing throughout this whole letter is he's writing to these uh, scattered uh, Christians with pressure on them and reminding them of what a a holistic uh, walk with the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. This is what it looks like in your speech. This is what it looks like in your belief. This is what it looks like in your works. This is is what it looks like in, in battling sin. James is helping Christians when the heat is turned up James is helping Christians when pressure is applied to be able to to think through what does it look like to walk with Jesus. And so he comes to the very end of his letter and he gives one final concluding encouragement. He says, friends, take everything you've heard me say about obedience and faith and take everything that you've heard me say about worldliness and sinfulness and watch out for each other. That, that's my concluding thought for me. I'm not, I'm not leaving you with anything other than that. Then you need to watch each other's backs. Based on everything that I've walked through in this book, you watch my back and I'll watch yours. That's James' conclusion. What a great way to conclude this letter. Keep a watchful eye out for each other in light of everything that I've said. And what a wonderful meditation for us today as well. And so in verse 19, if you look there, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, the fact that he says among you alerts us to that this person is in their church. 
This person who is wandering, this wandering church member, I've actually phrased it that way intentionally, this person is in their church. They have claimed, at least outwardly, to be a Christian and to be identified with this Christian community. And so this, when he says, if anyone among you wanders, he's not just thinking of a a loose affiliation of Christians in the sense that you might have a, maybe a tight friend group from college that you still have a text message thread with or, or something like that. And you say, oh, we kind of know who's in that group. And if anybody wanders outside of that group, then we should go and try to get them and bring them back and to rescue them. That's not what he has in mind. He has in mind the local church. We know that because as Bill Deckert walked us through in the passage uh, last Sunday, right before this, James uses that same phrase up in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you sick? If so, what do you do? Call on the elders of the church to pray. Right? So the context, this among you context, is the context of a local church. So in our thinking about the wandering church member, and that's why we're, we're, we're conceiving of it in that way, that we're talking about somebody who, who is identified as a Christian, who is part of the Christian community, who is, a, uh, in our case, a member of Delray Baptist Church. That person starts to wander away. Let me highlight three things that I think will help us do some, some self-evaluation if we find ourselves wandering, and three things that will help us potentially spot someone who is wandering around us as well. Three things. First, the wandering is in reference to truth. The wandering is in reference to truth. Verse uh, verse 19 makes it clear, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, that word from, for, for wander in the original language, depending on the context, could, could mean to be led astray, to be deceived, to be mistaken, or as we have it translated right here, to wander. And you'll notice with, with all of those things, there is a reference point to truth. The fact that somebody can be led astray or go astray is that there's a reference point of truth that they are able to go astray from. The, the, the fact that somebody can be deceived, it, it starts with the idea that there is a, a truth from which they are being led astray and being deceived. They can be mistaken because it is in reference to a truth. They wander from a, a standpoint of truth. So this person has been exposed to truth, meaning this person has been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its implications for our belief and our life. That's the truth that they are wandering off from. It's not just that they have maybe have a question here or two about a finer doctrinal point that maybe Christians have disagreement on. This person, with reference to the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that means for their life, uh, but both outward, the way they're living and the way that they're thinking, this person is wandering away from that truth, venturing away from that truth. They have assented to that truth at one time, and now they're wandering away from it. A common verse that many Christians have memorized, maybe some people in here this morning have memorized, is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Maybe you've never noticed that our word for wandering shows up just before that famous verse about the, 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 the usefulness and the inerrancy of God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 10, or I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 10, Paul is talking about how Timothy imitated him. And he said, you imitated my life, you imitated the things that I taught you, and you even imitated the persecutions that I had. You know, these persecutions that were, that were on you and that, that you had those same things um, presented in your own life. And then listen to what he says. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, Timothy, you, you imitated even my persecutions, but anybody who wants to follow Jesus will be persecuted. That's coming. Verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, here's our word, deceiving and being deceived. 
wandering and leading others to wander. It's the same Greek word. And so uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you know you're supposed to be following me and all the things that that I've taught you and you're doing that well. But just so you know, things are about to get worse and people are going to start wandering and leading other people to wander away, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. This is the antidote to wandering. Remember what you have firmly believed and from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see? Paul to Timothy says, Timothy, some will wander, some will be deceived. Don't you wander from the truth. You have the truth. Cling to it. And just to make the the point really clear, the other places where we see this pop up in the New Testament, Jesus uses the same word for wander in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, when he's opposing the Sadducees. And he says to them, he says, you are mistaken. That's our word for wander. You are wandering, Sadducees, for you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The reason, Sadducees, that you are wandering is because you don't know God's word. You've wandered from the truth. Two chapters later in Matthew, Jesus warns his disciples. He says, many people will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will, here's our word, lead many astray. They will. There'll be false teachers who come, and it will cause other people to wander. Peter, 2 Peter Peter 2.15, talks of some forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. Or they have wandered. Well, how do you wander? It's by forsaking the right way. And so we see this all throughout the New Testament. Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, looking at the same thing and warning people from wandering. And what is the warning for wandering always in connection with? It is connected with the truthfulness of God's word and the truthfulness of the gospel that's been delivered to us. Friends, just let this be a reminder to you that you must personally fill up on the character of God, the love of God, and the beauty of Christ that we have revealed to us in Holy Scripture. That that must be your food. That must be the air you breathe. You must have a thirst for God's Word. Regular scripture intake is so important because it helps us to see who God really is. It reminds us of his love for us and his pursuit of us. It gives us a proper worldview by which we can interpret all of the things around us. When you read, throughout, uh, when you read through the Bible, you would just see over and over again the importance of remembrance. That's why Israel had all those festivals. That's why they every now and then will make a pile of stones. So that they say, so that when your kids ask, hey, what's that big pile of stones about? Well, let me tell you the story about how God parted the Jordan River. Let me me tell you the story about the wonderful way that God worked. Let us tell you, why are we we observing this meal and this festival? Let me tell you about the way that that the, the angel of the Lord showed up one night and we were covered by the blood of the Lamb and so God spared us. Let's recount the wonderful deeds of our amazing God. The Bible throughout. That's why Jesus, whenever he's instituting the Lord's Supper with his body and his uh, blood, the the, the bread and the cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Our faith is laced with reminders and encouragements to remember. Because if we don't remember, we will start to wander from the truth. If we don't remember the truth and have it in front of us. So be careful. Be careful if you note a growing disinterest in your heart towards God's Word. Call other brothers or sisters around you and say, help me to to, to know what this says and to cling to it. Help me to to understand the gospel and how it applies in my life. Because I feel like I'm drifting. Be careful if if sermons that you listen to are always for somebody else. Man, I really hope so-and-so's hearing this. The Lord wants to speak to each of us through his word. 
don't wander from that truth. So wandering is in connection with truth. A second observation here that is helpful for us is that wandering can be subtle or severe, but it's always serious. Wandering can be subtle or severe, but it's always serious. So you might take a couple examples of, of where we see people wandering in the New Testament. In First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul is, is, encourages Timothy to hold to the faith with a good conscience. And then he gives examples of some people who didn't. So he says, Timothy, hold to the faith with a good conscience. Then he says this, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we don't know a whole lot about what is going on in that situation or a bunch of other details there, but we know that these two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, had blasphemed against God. They had sinned against God. They had wandered away from the truth in a way that was severe. And Paul says, you know their story. Their faith is shipwrecked. They have wandered away in a severe way. Well, you might think of what happens in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul recounts his rebuking of the apostle Peter. You see, the gospel that Paul and Peter were both preaching was a gospel uh, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not any of these external things that might, might have mattered to some in that day that, that you would have to observe certain uh, festivals or feasts or you would have to go to the temple or that you would have to uh, observe the, um, the sign of circumcision, all of those things, and you have to avoid certain foods. No, no, Paul and Peter were both preaching a, a gospel of the freedom uh, that the gospel brings, the freedom that, that, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so at the time, Paul and Peter were both free to eat with Gentiles and with Jews, and they were going back and forth because the gospel has freed us from all of that, and we're saved saved by faith alone in Christ alone, until a group of Jews came to visit Peter one day. And then Peter went all old covenant and backed off of the Gentiles and backed off of the truthfulness of the gospel. And Paul goes to him and it says he rebuked him in front of everybody. This is what he says in Galatians 2 verse 20. I'm sorry, Galatians 2 verse 14. He said, he rebuked Peter to his face, for he was not in step with the truth of the gospel. The apostle Peter, not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul says, I don't care who you are. That's the gospel of Jesus. We're not going to mess with it. Hymenaeus and Alexander made absolute shipwreck of their faith. Peter had one foot on the path. And Paul said, no further. Our wandering from the truth could be severe, it could be subtle, but it's always serious. And so Paul got involved in both of these situations because he knew, as James chapter 5, verse 20 says, the one who brings back a wandering sinner from his path to destruction will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wandering from the truth puts you on a trajectory of death. Some may be at the trailhead like Peter was, or they may be miles ahead on their journey like Hymenaeus and Alexander, but it is a path that leads to destruction if you're not rescued from it. And so friends, I hope you see that, that the God gives verses like this out of a heart of love and compassion. It's not, well, what are you doing being up all in my business? What you, just let me, just live and let live. I'm not hurting you. No, this is serious. And so God gives us these kinds of commands and gives us these encouragements and exhortations because he loves us and he knows that if left to ourselves, we will follow that path all the way to death. And so he says, I want to save you from that. And I want to remind the church that we are to watch out for each other to save you from that because I love you too much to let you have your own way. May this be a reminder for us. We must allow if you are the wandering church member and you sense that in any place in your heart, we must allow and seek out people to speak into our struggles. One of the telltale signs of dangerous wandering is having an unteachable spirit. Either never allowing anybody close enough to know what's really going on in your life and what you're believing, or when those people do get too close and start to press in a little bit, you push them away. 
So don't judge me. I'm always arguing back. Hey, yeah, I want you to come speak into my life, but as soon as you do, I'm going to start swinging. It's a telltale sign of hardness creeping in and wandering taking place. Proverbs 19, 27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. In our previous church, before we moved here to the States and, and Shanghai, we had a season of, and Kim and I were just talking about it this morning, we had a season of at least five people that we could think of, of whom this was true, of wandering away from the truth. Some of them have already become Hymenaeus and Alexander. And we recount that with great sorrow. But some of the commonalities we saw in some of these folks wandering, we started to see some, some things that were typical of, uh, of all of them. And one of them, a theme that emerged, was a tendency to, to entertain kind of spurious teaching, bad influences, while not allowing solid, respected, loving, smart voices a place at the table any longer. And the rationale was typically this. Listen, I grew up with Christianity. I know what those people say. I'm going to go this way for a while. I, yeah, I know what you're going to I'm not even going to ask you because I know what you're going to say to me. So I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to deep dive into this YouTuber or this influencer or this blogger or this new author, and I'm going to deep dive into what they're saying. I know what you're going to say, so you stay over here and let me go over here for a while. And by the time this, the, we, we would finally find out, they were neck deep in it. The, the Satan had his claws so deep that it was hard to re retract them. And what they were doing is they weren't allowing, they weren't allowing, and I would ask, I'd be like, man, okay, you're, you're reading all these people, you're watching these videos, you're doing all this kind of stuff. Who are the solid Christians on the other side that you're allowing to speak back into the situation? I just couldn't name anybody. Giving a, a more of a benefit of the doubt, not allowing any sort of cross-examination by somebody with the truth, but allowing more benefit of the doubt to the, the people who are trying to destroy their faith than the people who would try to save it. Friends, if that's you, turn. Return to the truth. Allow respected, solid Christian voices who, who, who are known for, for cherishing the truth of the gospel and who are known, who you respect for being uh, proclaimers of God's word and teachers of it, calling the elders of your church to speak into the situations and the places we're starting to wander off. 2 Peter 3.17 Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and so lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So listen, when famous celebrity so-and-so says that they decided to punt the faith, Pray for them. Trust that Christians in their life are pursuing them. You need give them no platform in your own heart. Deconverting Christians should be prayed for and pursued by people that know them, not platformed in your own life. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and so lose your own stability. Psalm 101 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil, of evil. Don't dabble in the testimonies of those who are abandoning the faith. It will only lead you to lose your stability. Third, this wandering involves both belief and practice. 
This wandering involves both belief and practice. We tend to think of wandering from the truth in terms of thought. Well, somebody's thinking wrongly because it has that word truth there. And so we need to bring them back to to truthfulness and to right belief. That's true. But don't miss in verse 20 of James chapter 5. This person is sinning. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wandering involves both belief and practice. Wrong belief and sinful action are inseparably tied together in a number of ways. First, you could just have a belief that's sinful. You have a belief about Jesus or uh, about salvation or about God and his nature and his care. You, you could have all kinds of beliefs just in themselves that are sinful. But another way is that our uh, wrong belief often leads to sinful actions. You could take for an example a, a Christian who is dating a non-Christian or a Christian who is about to marry a non-Christian. And it could be because of a distrust in God's goodness, a distrust in what God has said in his word, a distrust in God's timing, a lack of patience with God, a disbelief about what God says in his word about singleness and the goodness of it and the gift that it is. And so that wrong belief about truth and about God's word and his character and all those things could lead to sinful action. And then you could flip it. Sinful actions lead to wrong beliefs. I've known so many people who want what they want, so they'll go and tweak God's word so that they feel better about going and taking it. This is what I want, and so there's no way God's word who says the exact opposite of that, there's no way that's true. So is God's word really inerrant if it says that thing? I can't be. So sinful action can lead to wrong belief as well. You You see how tied together our sinful actions and our sinful beliefs are. Some of our beliefs are sinful in themselves. Our sinful actions can lead to wrong beliefs, and our beliefs can lead to sinful actions. It is a web. Because of this, we must throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ and plead with the Spirit to reveal truth to us and to empower us and strengthen us for the obedience that God calls us to. I consider all of that, and I say, I, I, I can't do this alone. <laughs> I don't know what you feel when you see all of that and consider all the ways that that works, but I, I think about that, and I say, Lord Jesus, help me. I need your help. Which leads us to our second point, the watchful church member. I've seen the wandering church member, now the watchful church member. And really, that's who these verses are written to, aren't they? These verses are written to the, the watchful church member. James is writing to those who will do the rescuing. So verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want to consider four things about our watchfulness. Four things about our watchfulness. The first one is this. Watchfulness has as its goal bringing people to Jesus. Watchfulness has as its goal bringing people to Jesus. And so when he says there that that whoever goes and brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin, will bring them back to what? Bring them back to the truth from which they've strayed. But note that James says that doing that will do two things. It will save their soul from death and it will cover a multitude of sins. And that phrase, cover a multitude of sins, is seen in the Old Testament. That was in Psalm 32 that we read earlier. And then by the time we get to the New Testament, save them from a multitude of sins is is just a traditional way. We see it in 1 Peter 4, verse 8 as well. It's it's become a traditional way of talking about God's forgiveness of sins. And so when when James says, go and bring them back, you're bringing them back to the truthfulness of the the gospel. It's not just a bringing them back and saying, hey, I got them to come back to church. That's great. That's not the goal. Oh, I, I got them to sign off on this part of Delray Baptist Church's uh, doctrinal statement that they weren't willing to sign off on before. That's great. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring them back to Jesus. 
That's the truth that they've wandered from. It's bringing somebody back to the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they love him and cherish him and worship him and abide in him and trust him and see him as beautiful. That is what the task is. That is a, snow, a soul snatched from the jaws of death. And so church, do you see what James is calling us to do? Exactly what it is that Jesus has already done for us. We were all wandering in that sense. None righteous, no, not one. Following the course of this world, sons of disobedience, Paul writes, all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Christ by sending Jesus to pursue us all the way to death on a cross in an empty tomb. He snatched our souls from death and covered over a multitude of sins. If we turned from our sins and repented of them and trusted in him. That is true for you. Soul snatched from death, multitude of sins covered over. That is what Christ did for us. So how can those of us who have died to our sins any longer live in them? How can we who've been brought so near to the, to the heart of Christ then turn and wander from it? And how can we watch others doing the same without stepping in and pleading, brother, sister, Turn back to the truth. Your very soul is at stake. Jesus died to save you and to redeem you and to cover over those multitudes of sin. He has pursued you and he's placed us here right now to pursue you as well. And we do that in love. So when one of us does wander, we are to bring them back, not simply to church, not simply to doctrine, though that will be a part of it and several part of it. But the goal is to bring them back to that from which they have turned They've wandered from Christ. They've rebelled against God. They've sinned. And so the watchful church members to help them repent and turn and trust and love Christ. On our part, that will take courage and patience and pursuit and time and blood and sweat and tears and a gospel-motivated heart that says you're good is worth me giving my time to. It's, it's, it's more important than the awkwardness of this conversation. It's more important than how you might view me after this. Your soul is at stake. That's what we're called to do. Second, our watchfulness is a tool in the hand of God. Our watchfulness is a tool in the hand of God. This is what I said at the beginning, that God wants to use you to help us persevere. Now, as you read these final two verses of the book of James, there's a theological tension that surfaces here. It's helpful for us to grapple with. The theological tension is this. This person is among you, openly identifying as a Christian, thought of as a Christian by the church itself, but they're somehow on a path that could lead to death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death is the idea of that term there. How is that possible? Because we believe what Jesus said. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice and I will lose not one of them. We believe what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that those who are predestined are called, those who are called by him are justified, and those who are justified are glorified. There's no off-ramp on the road to redemption. There's no break in the golden chain linking God's calling of us and his glorifying of us. So we believe that to be true. So how is it that James is saying that these people who are among you are on a path to death? So the Bible assures us that those who are saved, that Christ won't lose them, while at the same time, issuing very real warnings to us. The Bible speaks of all us uh, in Ephesians already being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, being sealed for the day of redemption by the promised Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Bible teaches that, while at the same time calling us to persevere and keep running the race all the way to the end. It's a theological tension. It's not that that effort saves us. Christ saves us. 
It's that endurance and perseverance all the way to the end will indeed prove in the end that we are truly his. God's ways are mysterious, but we know that the means God uses to accomplish his purposes, one of those means is the church. That God wants to, God will will, will keep us and save us and, and hold us fast until the end. And he's chosen to use means to do that. And the means that he's, he's chosen to use to help me get to glory is you. The means that he has chosen to get you to glory is everybody else in this room. He has chosen to use those means to get us to where he's taken us to. That is why he can speak of our salvation as being something that is sure and yet saying, keep trusting Jesus. We can have assurance of salvation and yet really real warnings because God has chosen to use those warnings as a way to help us persevere all the way to the end. So our watchfulness is a tool in the hand of God. What if someone says they were a Christian and then they wander and nobody can bring them back? Well, Jesus told a parable about that. He said that very thing was going to happen. There's a sower who goes out throwing seed and some of it's going to sprout up and look like the real deal for a season and then the cares of the world are going to come and strangle it out. The birds are going to come and pluck it off the road. Jesus said that will happen. So don't pose that question as as like, well, nobody's ever thought of that. Jesus thought of that. He said that's going to happen. James, or I'm sorry, John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. You follow that? John's point is that if they wander, and if you keep reading in in 1 John chapter 2, if they keep abiding in Christ, they prove that they were one of us. But if they don't, if they cease to abide in Christ and they go out and they never come back, they truly go out from us and they no longer cling to Christ and they just clarify that they were never one of us to begin with. Meaning a Christian. Listen, we we could get way into the weeds with the examples and situations and hypothetical things that you may want to ask me by this point, but I, I, I just, for now, I want you to just know this. God wants to use you to help me persevere. God wants to use me to help you persevere. How does all of that work out in the mysterious sovereign plan of God? I'm not sure I have all the satisfactory answers, but church, God wants to use you to search and rescue. So that's our task, search and rescue. Let him sort out some of the theological nuances of that at a later date. Third, watchfulness is for all of us. This watchfulness is for all of us. Note at the end of verse 19, it says, if someone brings him back, verse 20, whoever brings him back. Now, note there, this is anyone in the church Someone among you wanders. Someone bring him back. Somebody go get him. Somebody go get her. Bring him back in. This watchfulness is for all of us. It's not just for the pastors or the staff of the church. Now, certainly, the elders of the church have been tasked with shepherding the flock that is among them. That that is certainly true. So there's a unique way in which the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, are tasked with doing that. But... Ephesians chapter 4 says that the the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As a part of the the job of elders in the church isn't just this professionalization of, of the Christian life, but it's for all of us to do that work. I'll often meet somebody who who tells me, hey, I'm thinking about quitting my job and going into the ministry. I'll say, "Well, well, man, why? Why is that? And they'll say, Well, I'm really excited about evangelism and discipleship. I say, Welcome to being a Christian. That's not a call into ministry. That's a call to be a Christian. We are all to be doing that work. And so that's something for all of us to do. And that's what we see here. So the the church leaders, again, in Ephesians 4, the church leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
And if you keep reading in Ephesians 4, he says, until all of us attain to a maturity so that none of us are tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine. So it is clear in the New Testament that this, this work, the search and rescue work, this, this uh, work of being watchful over wandering church members and going after them, that is uh, your job description if you're a member of Delray Baptist Church. That's all of our job description. The church does that work. We are all to be watchful church members. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's our job. Know each other, pursue each other, restore each other in gentleness, and keep a self-watch, lest we too begin to wander. Friends, there is simply no private Christianity. We are called to make judgment calls in each other's lives. You can't read the New Testament and make sense of it any other way. You can't make sense of it in a private, live and let live, don't ask me about any of my business type of Christianity. Doesn't exist. Souls are at stake. It can't exist. Fourth and finally, the task requires healthy church membership. The task requires healthy church membership. There is a community where we know who we are. And so there could be someone here this morning who's not a member of this church and who's not a member of any church. Well, we're glad you're here. We welcome you here. And we plead with you to find a local church where you can join and be known. Because you could be wandering right now and you're not on anybody's radar. That's a scary place to be. For the good of your own soul. This isn't a plea to have more people join Delray Baptist Church. I don't care. I want you to join a church that, that, that believes the gospel, that teaches God's word, and that will know you and shepherd you. This is required of this. Now, I would, I would hope that we would still, you would have some friends and you get to know people, we would still catch you. I would hope that would take place. And this isn't to say that any church member automatically is, is, is on everybody's radar. We, we could still have somebody slip through the cracks. But listen, our elders are constantly, constantly looking at our entire directory and making sure people are known and following up when people were wandering. This task requires healthy church membership for another reason as well, because a community is not only a place where you're known, but a community is a place where we have agreed on certain truths. That we say, this, th this is what we think is true, this is what we think the Bible is teaching, and we are all kind of rallying around what we think the Bible teaches and how we think the Bible is calling us to live. So you could be in a church where, where somebody is, is uh, wandering from the truth, and, and let's just say that they, they've stopped believing that the Bible is actually God's Word. Now, I don't really think the Bible is without error, and I don't think it's authoritative in my life. And, and you could go to the leaders of that church and say, listen, we've got a wandering church member. Well, how do you know? Well, they've, they've given up on the inerrancy of Scripture. They've given up on the authority of God's Word. Well, that's fine here. We actually think that's Okay. I've been in those churches. And so a, a healthy church doing what James is saying at the end of James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, at the end of this book, it requires healthy church membership where we are known, we know who we are, and where we have agreed on certain truths that we are not going to let go of. We know what orthodoxy is. And it's a church where if we start to stray that there is a mechanism in place to come and get us. If you go back to the Reformation and read uh, definitions of what the church is, you'll see a church, a local church, is where the Word of God is rightly preached, where the sacraments, baptism and communion, are rightly administered, 
and where church discipline is rightly practiced. That's how church was defined. That's how we define church. Church discipline being that mechanism where if if any of us, myself included, strays into sin and doesn't repent of that, that people are going to come to me like Matthew 18 says and says, Jason, you must repent and turn back to Jesus. And if I say, no, 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 I'm not having that. You don't know me. Get out. Then, Then two or three others would come back and say, yep, this is happening. You need to repent and turn to Jesus. And I say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going I'm to stick to my thing, what I believe, how I'm living. <clears throat> and then Matthew 18, Jesus says, tell it to the church. And let the person be removed. Not, 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 not in a punitive way, not in a we're mad at you and you're not a part of the club anymore, but in a way to say this is the last extreme act that the Bible gives us to remove you from the Lord's table and to treat you as a non-Christian. And we're not trying to be mean. You won't listen. And this is a final act of love and of compassion and of mercy and of pleading with you to return and come back to the truthfulness from which you are wandering. A local church has that mechanism, should have that mechanism. We are to be watchful church members. Requires a healthy church membership. I'll close with this. I recently saw this on social media. Saw another post just last week, I think, or maybe two weeks ago, with a a very famous Christian, well-known kind of celebrity Christian, who on their social media said, listen, I'm I'm done with church. I'm done with church. Now, to to be clear, I'm not done with the universal church. I'm done because I love Christians. I'm in favor of Christians. I love the universal church. What I'm done with is, is the building. I think the church is, is more than a building. That is one of the dumbest things to believe and to say. Because nobody believes that. I don't know a single person who says the church is a building. And so everybody that you hear say that, oh, I think the church isn't a building. Have fun arguing against nobody. Because nobody says that. Nobody thinks the church is a building. And so people see that and they say, you know what, I'm going to run away from that. So, so I don't think church is a building, so now church is going to be a blob. <laughs> it's going to be this kind of nebulous blob of universal church people, and that's what I love. Friends, the, the church isn't a building, but it's also not a blob. It's a body. It's a specific people. So I don't care if Delray Baptist Church meets in this room. I do care if you guys are with me. I don't need it to be in this building, but I need a specific group of people. I need your names and faces, and I need us gathered together. I don't care if this whole building falls and crumbles. In fact, some of our elders are praying that that would happen at some point with (laughs) nobody in the room and with insurance covering everything. The building doesn't matter, and nobody says that it does. The people do, but it's not just a nebulous people. It is a specific people who have covenanted together and who have agreed to gather together around the preaching of God's word, around the right administrating of the, of the sacraments, and around church discipline. So there you have it. That's the ending of the book of James. No travel plans, no final greetings, no benediction, no slick conclusion, just a reminder to take all that you've learned from what he's written and you watch my back and I'll watch yours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need much grace to do this well. Would you help us by the power of your spirit for the good of your son, Jesus Christ, to look out for each other and to help each other. We are humbled that you would use us as tools in your hand to help each other along the way. But that is a task too great for any of us to do in our own strength, and so we ask that you would empower us for it. God, would you help us to pursue Christ, to cling to what is true, and to not wander from the truth? We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.